attention patriots, this is the Chris Ann Hall Show. Who's going to stand up? Where are the lovers of liberty? I think that's absurd. It's ridiculous. It's unconstitutional. It's out of control. You think this is over? This isn't over. There's a liberty wave coming. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Rise and shine, liberty-loving patriots. Welcome to the Chris Ann Hall Daily Journal. Chris Ann Hall here. I am found at chrisannhall.com, K-R-I-S-A-N-N-E-H-A-L-L.com, where we are liberty over security, principle over party, and truth over your favorite personality. I am usually here with my husband and co-host, J.C. Hall, but this morning I am doing a special uh, Christmas edition of the Christiane Hall Daily Journal, so I wanted to um, give J.C. the day off and bring you this special Christmas message, uh, Christmas in Christmas past, uh, hope of Christmas past. Uh, Christmas was a really big time of the year. Some very important things happened in uh, 1776 in Christmas, and I wanted to I wanted to bring you this special show so that we could, as maybe a new tradition, remember the occurrences that happened, the hope that our founders had during this very very uh, difficult time. I mean, it just can't even imagine what life would have been like in 1776, uh, especially uh, in the Northeast fighting <laughs> for liberty, especially understanding that uh, our troops were, were low in provision, uh, which included clothing and shoes and the hardships and the food. Uh, they were short on food. Everything was difficult. And yet you have to remember that they maintained their perspective and they maintained their course in the direction of liberty. And one of the things that I wanted to talk about today was Thomas Paine's publishing of The American Crisis. Uh, American Crisis officially uh, to be published on December 23rd, 1776. And it was originally published in the Pennsylvania Journal for the very first time, written by Thomas Paine. And George Washington's troops were at that time encamped at McConkie's Ferry on the Delaware River opposite to Trenton, New Jersey. Now, uh, this was not a really good time for Washington's troops. In August, they had suffered a humiliating defeat, and uh, they had just lost New York City to the British troops. So you want to think about something when they were in a period of maybe some 
some real kind of deep morale despair, uh, loss of hope, and wondering, you know, are we really doing the right thing? Are we going to win? Is it really worth it? And the timely publishing of Thomas Paine's words were such an inspiration to the troops, such an inspiration to those who were fighting for liberty as a whole, that I wanted to share them with you today because that's exactly what George Washington did when they were published. According to Mount Vernon, uh, between uh, September and December, 11,000 Americans volunteer, uh, 11,000 American volunteers gave up the fight and returned to their families. George Washington could foresee the destiny of a rebellion without an army if the rest of his men returned home when their service contracts expired December of uh, 31st. He knew that with uh, out an upswing in morale and significant victory, the American Revolution would become would come to a swift and humiliating end. Uh, Thomas Paine was apparently also very aware of this. His uh, common sense was written to inspire the people to the revolution to fighting for liberty. And uh, with Thomas Paine's publication of the American Crisis, George Washington commanded that the, this pamphlet be read aloud to his men. The rousing prose, according to what's written here, had its intended effect. Reciting Paine's impassioned words, the beleaguered troops mustered their remaining hopes for victory and as you know, will cross the icy Delaware River to defeat uh, Hessians, <laughs> the German Hessians, who were apparently hung over on Christmas night and on January 2nd. The British Army's General uh, Earl Cornwallis at the Pr Battle of Princeton. That's what happened in January 2nd. With the victory in New Jersey, Washington won not only two battles, but also the love and thanks of man and woman. So just at the time when they needed it most, these words were penned by, uh, by Thomas Paine. The inspiration of those words felt by George Washington, read to his troops, marching them on to two very important victories in Trenton, New Jersey, and then also in um, uh, the Battle of Princeton in January, on January 2nd. Now, we've had the opportunity, uh, the family, have we've had the opportunity to see these battlegrounds, and it really is an inspirational thing to experience. But I want to read to you, as uh, Washington's troops would have been read, this American crisis. December 23rd, 1776, by Thomas Paine. Now, it's a little bit long, but I want you to stay with me because I want you to have this understanding of what exactly it is to uh, be in the midst of a battle where 
you're not winning, where you feel discouraged, where you feel like everything is opposing you. And I'm not talking about fake media. I'm not talking about Congress not doing their job. I'm talking about something that's, that's a whole lot worse, a whole lot uh, more difficult. I mean, it's 23 degrees outside. You don't have ham warmers or an electric blanket. You are about to cross the Delaware River. And uh, we're going to, I'm going to show you, we're going to go back to the Mount Vernon site when we're done reading this. I want to, I want to share with you uh, some facts about the crossing of the Delaware, which took place on Christmas Day, spending their Christmas in just the most awful, horrendous conditions and uh, doing it because they loved God because they loved liberty, because they loved their posterity, not just their children today. But remember Thomas Jeff, or or, uh, James Madison and uh, John Adams and Samuel Adams would all say that they were doing this for ages and millions yet to come. Chapter one of Thomas Paine's American Crisis. Now, Paine would write several chapters, but this is the one that we're going to read. This is the one that was read to uh, Washington's troops. These are the times that try men's souls. The summer soldier and the sunshine patriot will, in this crisis, shrink from the service of their country. Now, remember, Washington has suffered a, a, a loss of troops because they were, they were leaving for lack of pay, lack of provision, and the hard times. And Payne is making a direct comment on these people saying, look, these are the people that were not in it for the right reasons. And they're going to shrink from the service of their country. And Payne's going to say, but you're not those people. He says, but he that stands now deserves the love and thanks of man and woman. Tyranny like hell is not easily conquered, yet we have this consolation with us that the harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph. What we obtain too cheap, we esteem too lightly. It is dearness only that gives everything its value. Heaven knows how to put a proper price upon its goods, And it would be strange indeed if so celestial an article as freedom should not be highly rated. Britain, with an army to enforce her tyranny, has declared that she has the right not only to tax, but to bind us in all cases whatsoever. And if being bound in that manner is not slavery, then is there not such a thing as slavery upon earth? Even the expression is impious, for so limited a power can only belong to God. Whether the independence of the continent was declared too soon or delayed too long, I will, now, I will not now enter into as an argument. My, only, my own simple opinion is that had it been eight months earlier, it would have been much better. We did not make a proper use of last winter, neither could we while we were in a dependent state. However, 
the fault, if it were one, was all our own, and we have none to blame but ourselves. But no great deal is lost yet. All that Howe has been doing for this month past is, is ra rather a ravage than a conquest, which the spirit of the Jerseys a year ago would have quickly repulsed, and which time and a little resolution will soon recover. When we come back from the break, we're going to continue with Thomas Paine's The American Crisis, published December 23rd, 1773, read to Washington's troops before the crossing of the Delaware. Liberty's lobbyist Chris Ann Hall has now taken control. Welcome back to the Chris Ann Hall Daily Journal, doing our special Christmas edition of the Daily Journal talking about the hope of Christmas past. We have now, what we're doing now is the reading of Thomas Paine's The American Crisis. And we, when we left off with Paine's American Crisis, he was explaining to us that perhaps we started a little bit too late, but that's our own fault. And hey, look, we're in this now. We can do this now. And he says, I, I have as little superstition in me as any man living, but my secret opinion has been ever and still is that God Almighty will not give up a people to military destruction or leave them unsupported to perish who have so earnestly and so repeatedly sought to avoid the calamities of war, but every decent method which wisdom could invent. Neither have I so much of the infidel in me as to suppose that he, meaning God, has relinquished the government of the world and has given us up to the care of devils. And as I do not, I cannot see on what grounds the king of Britain can look up, up to heaven for help against us. A common murderer, a highwayman, or a housebreaker has as good a pretense as he. Tis surprising to see how rapidly a panic will sometimes run through a country. All nations and ages have been subject to them. Britain has trembled like an ague at the report of a French fleet of flat bottom boats, and in the 14th, 15th century, the whole English army, after ravaging the kingdom of France, was driven back like men petrified with fear. And this brave exploit was performed by a few broken forces, collected and headed by a woman, Joan of Arc. Would that heaven might inspire some Jersey maid to spirit up her countrymen and to save her fair fellow sufferers from ravage and ravishment. Yet panics, in some cases, 
have their uses. They produce as much good as hurt. Their duration is always short. The mind they uh, soon grows through them and acquires a firmer habit than before. But their peculiar advantage is that they are the touchstones of sincerity and hypocrisy and bring things and men to light which might otherwise have lain forever undiscovered. In fact, they have the same effect on secret traitors which an imaginary apparition would have upon a private murderer. They sift out the hidden thoughts of man and hold them up in public to the world. Many a disguised Tory has lately shown his head that shall penitentially solemnize with curses the day on which Howe arrived upon the Delaware. As I was with the troops at Fort Lee and marched with them to the edge of Pennsylvania, I am well acquainted with the many circumstances which those who live at a distance know but little or nothing of. Our situation was exceedingly cramped, the place being a narrow neck of land between the North River and Hackensack. Our force was inconsiderable, being not one-fourth so great as Howe could bring against us. We had no army at our defense, our ammunition, light artillery, and at the best of our stores had been removed on the apprehension that Howe would endeavor to penetrate the Jerseys, in which case Fort Lee would be of no use to us. For it must occur to every thinking man, whether in the army or not, that these kind of field forts are, are only for temporary purposes and last in use no longer than the enemy directs his force against the particular object which, should, which such forts are raised to defend. Such was our situation and condition at Fort Lee on the morning of the 20th of November when an officer arrived with information that the enemy, with 200 boats, had landed about seven miles above. Major General Green who commanded the garrison, immediately ordered them under arms and sent express to General Washington at the town of Hackensack, distant by the way of ferry, six miles. When we come back from this break, we're going to continue with the reading of Thomas Paine's American Crisis, published December 23rd, 1776. learn the easy way you'll learn the hard way chris and hall she's liberty's lobbyist welcome back to the chris ann hall daily journal chris ann hall here doing our reading of thomas Paine's the american crisis he says our first object was to secure the bridge over hackensack which laid upon the river between the enemy and us about six miles from us and three from them. General Washington arrived in about three quarters of an hour and marched at the head of the troops towards the bridge, which place I expected we should have a brush for. However, 
They did not choose to dispute it with us, and the greatest part of our troops went over the bridge, the rest over the ferry, except some which had passed a mill on a, a small creek between the bridge and the ferry and made their way through some marshy grounds up to the town of Hackensack and there past the river. We brought off as much baggage as the wagons could contain and the rest was lost. The simple object was to bring off the garrison and march them on until they could be strengthened by the Jersey and Pennsylvania militia so as to be enabled to make a stand. We stayed four days at Newark, collected outposts with some of the Jersey militia, and marched out twice to meet the enemy on being informed that they were advancing, though our numbers were greatly inferior to those to theirs. How, in my little opinion, committed a great error in generalship in not throwing a body of forces off from the Staten Island through Amboy, by which means he might have seized all our stores at Brunswick and intercepted our march into Pennsylvania. But if we believe the power of hell to be limited, we must likewise believe that their agents are under some providential control. Amen there. I shall now not attempt to give all the particulars of our retreat to the Delaware. Suffice it for the present to say, that both officers and men, though greatly harassed and fatigued, frequently without rest, covering, or provisions, the inevitable consequences of a long retreat, bore it with a manly and martial spirit. All their wishes centered in one, which was that country would turn out and help them to drive back the enemy. Voltaire has remarked that King William never appeared to full advantage, but in difficult and in inaction. The same remark can be made on General Washington, for the character fits him. There is a natural firmness in some minds which cannot be unlocked by trifles, but which, when unlocked, discovers a cabinet of fortitude, and I reckon it among those kind of of those kind of public blessings, which we do not immediately see, that God hath blessed him with uninterrupted health and given him a mind that can even flourish upon care. I shall conclude this paper with some miscellaneous remarks on the state of our affairs and shall begin with asking the following question. Why is it that the enemy have left the New England provinces and made the middle ones the, set, the seat of war? The answer is easy. New England is not infested with Tories, and we are. I've been tender in raising the cry against these men and used num numberless agents to show them their danger, but it will not do to sacrifice a world either to their folly or their baseness. The period is now arrived in which either they or we must change our sentiments or one or both must fall. And what is a Tory? Good God, what is he? I should not be afraid to go with a hundred Whigs against a thousand Tories were they to attempt to get into arms. Every Tory is a coward for servile, slavish, self-interested fear is the foundation of Toryism. And a man under such influence, though he may be cruel, can never be brave. But before the line of irrecoverable separation be drawn between us, 
Let us reason the matter together. Your conduct is an invention to the enemy, yet not one in a thousand of you has heart enough to join him. How is as much deceived by you as the American cause is injured by you? He expects you to, you will take up arms and flock to his stand with muskets on your shoulders. Your opinions are of no use to him unless you support him personally. For it is soldiers and not Tories that he wants. Once felt all that ki- I once felt all that kind of anger which a man ought to feel against the mean principles that are held by Tories. A noted one who kept a tavern at Amboy was standing at his door with a pretty child in his hand, about eight or nine years old, ever as I saw, and after speaking his mind as freely as he thought was prudent, finished with this unfatherly expression. Well, give me peace in my day. Not a man lives on the continent but fully believes that a separation must some time or the other finally take place. And a generous parent should have said, if there must be trouble, let it be in my day that my child may have peace. And this single reflection well applied is sufficient to awake every man to duty. Not a place upon earth may be so happy as America. Her situation is remote from all the wrangling world. And she has nothing to do but trade with them. A man can distinguish himself between temper and principle, and I am as confident as I am God governs the world, that America will never be happy till she gets clear of foreign dominion. Wars without ceasing will break out till that period arrives, and the continent must in the end be a conqueror. For there, for though the flame of liberty may sometimes cease to shine, the coal can never expire. America did not, nor does not, want force, but she wanted a proper application of that force. Wisdom is not the purchase of the day, and it is no wonder that we should err at the first setting off. From an excess of tenderness, we were unwilling to raise an army and trusted our cause to the temporary defense of a well-meaning militia. A summer's experience has now taught us better. Yet with those troops, while they were collected, we were able to set bounds to the progress of the enemy. And thank God, they were again assembling. I always considered the militia as the best troops in the world for a sudden exertion, but they will not do for a long campaign. How is how it is probable we'll make an attempt on this city of Philadelphia should he fail on this side of Delaware, he is ruined. If he succeeds, our cause is not ruined. He stakes all on his side against a part on ours. Admitting he succeeds, the consequence will be that the armies from both ends of the continent will march to assist their suffering friends in the middle states, for he cannot go everywhere. It is impossible. I consider Howe as the greatest enemy the Tories have. He is bringing a war into their country, which, had it not been for him and partly for themselves, they had been clear of. Should he now be expelled, I wish with all the devotion of a Christian that the names of Whig and Tory may never more be mentioned. But should as the Tories give him encouragement to come or assistance if he come, 
I as sincerely wish that our next year's arms may expel them from the continent and the Congress which uh, and the Congress appropriate their possessions to the relief of those who have suffered in well-doing. A single successful battle next year will settle the whole. America could carry on two years' war by the confiscation of the property of disaffected persons and be made, by, made happy by their expulsion. Say not that this is revenge. Call it rather the soft resentment of a suffering people who, having no ob- object in view but the good of all, I have staked on have staked their own all upon the seemingly doubtful event. Yet it is folly to argue against determined hardness. Eloquence may strike the ear, and the language of sorrow draw forth the tear of compassion, but nothing can reach the heart that is steeled with prejudice. Quitting this class of men, I turn to the warm ardor of a friend to those who have nobly stood and are yet determined to stand the matter out. I call not upon a few, but upon all. Not on this state or that state, but on every state. Up and help us. Lay your shoulders to the wheel. Better have too much force than too little. When so great an object is at stake, let it be told to the future world that in the depth of winter, when nothing but hope and virtue could survive, that the city and the country alarmed at one common danger, came forth to meet and repulse it. Say not that thousands are gone. Turn out your tens of thousands. Throw not the burden of the day upon providence, but show your faith by your works that God may bless you. It matters not where you live or what rank of life you hold. The evil or the blessing will reach you all. The far and the near, the home counties, the back and the rich and the poor will suffer or rejoice like all. The far and the near, the home counties and the back, the rich and the poor will suffer or rejoice alike. The heart that feels not now is dead. The blood of his children will curse his cowardice who shrinks back at a time when a little might might have saved the whole may and made them happy. I love the man that can smile in trouble, that can gather strength from distress and grow brave by reflection. Tis the business of little minds to shrink, but he whose heart is firm and whose conscience approves his conduct will pursue his principles unto death. My own line of reasoning is to myself as straight and clear as a ray of light. Not all the treasures of the world, so far as I believe, could have induced me to support an offensive war, for I think it murder. But if a thief breaks into my house, burns and destroys my property, and kills or threatens to kill me or those who are in it, and to Bind me in all cases whatsoever to his absolute will. Am I to suffer it? What signifies it to me whether he who does it is a king or a common man? My countrymen or not my countrymen? Whether it be done by an individual villain or an army of them? 
And when we come back after the break, we will finish this pamphlet. Welcome back to the Chris Ann Hall Daily Journal reading from Thomas Paine's common uh, um, American crisis. If we reason to the root of things, we shall find no difference. Neither can any just cause be assigned why we should punish in the one case and pardon in the other. Let them call me a rebel and welcome. I feel no concern from it, but I, sh but sh but I should suffer the misery of devils. Were I to make the a whore of my soul by swearing allegiance to one whose character is that of a sottish, stupid, stubborn, worthless, brutish man, I conceive likewise a horrid idea in receiving mercy from a being who at the last day shall be shrieking to the rocks and to the mountains to cover him and fleeing with terror from the orphan, the widow, and the slain of America. There are cases which cannot be overdone by language, and this is one. There are persons, too, who see not the full extent of the evil which threatens them. They solace themselves with hopes that the enemy, if he succeeds, will be merciful. It is the madness of folly to expect mercy from those who have refused to do justice, and even mercy where conquest is the object is only a trick of war. The cunning of the fox is as murderous as the violence of the wolf, and we ought to guard equally against both. Howe's first object is partly by threats and partly by promise to terrify or seduce the people to deliver up their arms and receive mercy. The ministry recommended the same plan to Gage, and this is what the Tories call making their peace, a peace which patheth all understanding indeed a peace which would be the immediate forerunner of a worse ruin than we, any we have yet thought of. Ye men of Pennsylvania, do you reason upon these things? Were the back counties to give up their arms, they would fall as an easy prey to the Indians who are all armed. This perhaps is what some Tories would not be sorry for. Were the home counties to deliver up their arms they would be an exposed they would be exposed to the resentment of the back counties who would have it in their power to chastise their defection at pleasure and were anyone at state to give up its arms the state must be garrisoned by all Howe's army of britons and hessians to preserve it from the anger of the rest mutual fear is the principal link in the chain of mutual love and woe be to the state that breaks the compact. How is mercifully inviting you to barbarous destruction? And men must either be rogues or fools that will not see it. I dwell not upon the vapors of imagination. I bring reason to your ears. And in a language as plain as ABC, hold up truth to your eyes. I thank God that I fear not. I see no real cause for fear. I know our situation well, and I can see the way out of it. 
while our army is collected, how dared not risk a battle? And it is no credit to him that he is decamped from White Plains and waited a mean opportunity to ravage defenseless jerseys. But it is a great credit to us that with a handful of men, we sustained an orderly retreat for near 100 miles, brought off our ammunition, all of our field pieces, the greatest part of our stores, and had four rivers to pass. None can say that our retreat was precipitated for we're near three weeks performing it, that the country might have come to in, come in. Twice we marched back to meet the enemy and remained out till the dark. The sign of fear was not seen in our camp and had not some of the cowardly and disaffected inhabitants spread false arms throughout the country. The jerseys had never been ravished. Once more, we're again collecting and collecting. Our new army at both ends of the continent is recruiting fast and we shall be able to open the next campaign within 60,000 men, well armed and clothed. This is our solution. This is our situation, and who, will, who may know it? But perseverance and fortitude, we have the prospect of a glorious issue. By cowardice and submission, the sad choice of a variety of evils. A ravaged country, a depopulated city, habitations without safety, a slavery without hope, our homes turned into barracks and body houses for Hessians, and a future race to provide for whose fathers we shall doubt of. Look on this picture and weep over it. And if there yet remains one thoughtless wretch who believes it not, let him suffer it unlamented. Merry Christmas, you guys. See you after the holidays. God bless. <laughs>